0: We're growing as a church family, and that's exciting. Every Sunday, we get more and more new faces, and I know we're gonna get more as the summer is over. But with that, with a growing family, we need more people to help. We need more volunteers. And any family, every family member has something to do or wants to help, so all I'm asking, if you're not serving in any capacity, And you consider this your family, your home, to serve. And we're not going to ask you to serve every Sunday. We're just going to ask you to serve once in a while. And the more people come to serve, the less we have to serve every single Sunday. The same people over and over and over again. And I'm not asking you to do anything I wouldn't do. Church, trust me. If I'm not up here, you'll see me ushering, greeting. You'll see me out in the parking lot because we're all serving Jesus Christ, the head of this church. And so I encourage you, again, if you are not serving, any ministry that you feel you're gifted to, we need you. The children's ministry, the audio-visual ministry, the high school, middle school ministry, the first assimilation ministry, making coffee, greeting, ushering, the parking lot. Boy, do we need help at the parking lot. Just go out there for one service. The worship team needs volunteers as well. And trust me, I will not sing. That's a good thing. But every, anywhere else, if they need me, I will be there. Because I have to remind all of us that Jesus Christ himself said, I came to serve, not to be served. I just want to share with that. Thank you, guys. My son, my oldest son, recently got engaged. He's excited, real excited. They're planning the wedding. They've got the date. They've got the venue. They've got the wedding coordinator. And they're all ready to go. Their only hesitation, what's really hard for them to do, is the wedding list. Who is going to be invited? See, if it was up to them, they invite every single person that they know that I know that my future compadres know everybody, but they have to limit themselves. And when I am doing premarital counseling, that is very stressful for the couple that's about to get married. And they always tell me this, well, because my mom wants me to invite Tio Hector. He's not even my Tio. We just call him Tio Hector. <laughs> and my dad says I have to invite this friend. And I'm thinking to myself, he's your friend, not my friend. dad, why do I have to invite them? And so this is a stressful situation. But the truth is, if you are not on the wedding list, if you are not invited, you can't go. I mention this because one day there's going to be a huge wedding feast. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And if you're not invited, if you are not on the list, you cannot go. John says this in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6 Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and us, his bride, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So my question is, are you invited? Are you on the invitation list? Today we continue our series that we've called The Afterlife. And what we have been looking throughout this month, the month of July, is what happens to someone when they die. The afterlife. And my prayer, and I sound—I know I sound like a broken record, but my prayer is that we get a real, real understanding of what awaits for us in the afterlife. And my prayer, my hope, is that if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... That you gain and want to be in heaven with him. See, church, to long for heaven is to long for Christ. And to long for Christ is to long for heaven. Because you will be with him forever and ever and ever. And if we long for heaven, it will change the way we live our lives today. And I need to remind you, I need to remind myself that this world is not our permanent home. We are here only for a little while. And how we live today will change how we live for eternity. So, before I begin... Let me put up a diagram. The diagram I've been putting up since the very beginning. And those of you that are new with us here at Grace Bible Church or have not seen the prior sermons, I encourage you to go back and watch the sermons because I explain more in detail what this diagram is all about. There's three stages of mankind in theology. The first stage is considered birth to death. That is the first state of man. Everybody was born and one day everybody's going to die. The moment a person dies, their soul is separated from their body. Temporarily separated from the body. Those that have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, their soul goes immediately into the intermediate state. That's the second state of man. It's called the intermediate state. That is from death to resurrection. Those that did not trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior on this earth go into the intermediate state of hell, which is Sheol and Hades. One day, one day Jesus Christ is going to return. And those that have died before the rapture, they are going to return with them. And those that have been raptured will also return with them and come right down here on the third state of man. And that is known as the resurrection into eternity. At that moment when Christ returns with his church, our bodies will be changed into our glorified bodies. And our soul and our bodies will come together. And then we will go into the eternal state, the new heaven and the new earth. For those that have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Or they will go into the lake of fire. Where hell and Sheol and Hades will be thrown in there. With all those that never trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There's two judgments I need to mention. The first judgment is called the judgment of faith. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are secured and you're going to heaven forever and ever. If you did not... You're going to be in torment forever and ever. That's the first judgment, the faith judgment. The second judgment is going to happen right before we go into the eternal state. It's called the final judgment. Believers, the judgment for believers, it's called the Bema seat, the mercy seat. At that point, we're going to get our rewards to go into eternity. I'm going to talk about rewards later on. For those that didn't trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the unbelievers, that judgment seat is the white throne of Jesus Christ. And at that point, they will enter into eternal torment where they will suffer forever and ever. Amen. Today, today I'm going to talk about the new heaven and the new earth, the eternal state. What happens to a believer's in eternity, the final heaven So if you have your Bibles ready, get ready because we're going to go back and forth through a whole bunch of scriptures. What is the new heaven and the new earth? What will it be like? I'm going to mention seven things, seven characteristics that we see biblically. The first thing that we are told that heaven, the eternal heaven, the new earth and the new city is going to be like a city. Heaven is a city. Picture that in your mind. The author of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 13, verse 14. For here we have no lasting city. Here, everything on this earth is going to perish. But we seek the city that is to come, the everlasting city. John writes in Revelation 21, verse 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband's. Every one of us here knows what a city is like, don't we? What a, a city consists of. There's buildings, there's culture, there's art, there's music, there's events, there's people, there's services. In, city, in cities, people work, they gather, they have conversations, they have carne asadas, they do all these things. With a new heaven and a new earth, it's going to be just like that, but in perfection. We're also told... That heaven is described as a country. Heaven is a country. Again, the author of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. A heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them, and here's that word again, a city. And countries have territories, they have rulers, they have citizens... In countries, there's diversity, but in this country, the eternal country, the new heaven and the new earth, there will be unity, complete unity. In this country, we're also told that people will have some thrones, but of course, the one that sits on the mighty throne is God. God the Father is going to have a throne. Again, Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ. He has a throne. Luke. Luke. Chapter 1, verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. But we're also told that some elders will have thrones. Revelation 11, verse 16, and the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. Listen closely, church. Heaven will be a new earth, not a non-earth. Heaven is going to be a new earth, not a non-earth. Revelation 21, the apostle John writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Let me stop here before I continue. I think there's a misinterpretation of this verse here. See, some people I've heard say that in the new heaven, the new earth, there's not going to be any sea. There will no longer be a sea as we know it. But what John is talking about here is isolation. If you recall, John was sent off to an island, a deserted island to spend the rest of his life in isolation. And as John is writing this, I can only picture him looking up and see sea between him and his community. And what he's saying here is that this sea, this isolation, what's keeping me from being with my brethren will no longer be. So in the new earth, and the new heaven, we are going to have a sea, but there won't be any isolation. He goes on in verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I really encourage you, church, to go back and read Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22 because it gives us a detail, a detail Examples of what heaven, the new earth, and the new heaven await for all believers. But I want you just to imagine this. Imagine the most beautiful sunset you've ever seen in your life. Or the most beautiful sunrise that you have ever witnessed. Imagine your best day ever and multiply it times a million. That will give you an idea, I think, of what heaven is going to be like. It will be new and it will be perfect. A new and perfect earth. Heaven is a city. It is a country. It is a new earth. And in heaven we are told we are going to have resurrected bodies. We are all going to have resurrected bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 40 There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. Like I'd mentioned, when someone dies, their body stays here and their soul is separated, temporarily separated from the body. Upon Christ's return, we are going to have our glorified bodies reunited with our souls. And these bodies are going to be awesome. I'm a little older than some of you here. And you guys that are a little bit older like me can can understand what I'm about to say. Every morning I get up and something else hurts. Well, the new heaven and the new earth, nothing's going to hurt. We're going to have... Bodies that are a thousand times much better than the ones we have now. We're going to get upgrades. I believe we're going to have some new features. We're going to have resurrected bodies. I love what John Piper says about heaven. He says this. God promises that the glory of his people would demand a glorious creation to live in. So when God makes all things new, he makes us new spiritually and morally. He makes us new physically. And then he makes the whole creation new so that our environment fits our perfected spirits and bodies. I love what Paul writes about the resurrection. He says this in First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42. So is it with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Four things that Paul says here. Four glorious things. Look what he says again with me. He says that we, our bodies are sown originally a perishable body, but will be raised an imperishable body. We are sown in dishonor, but we'll be raised to glory. We are sown in weakness, but we'll be raised in power. We are sown a natural body, but we're going to be raised a spiritual body. Those are beautiful promises that awaits believers in heaven. But we're also told that we will have rest. We're going to have rest in heaven. A rest like no other. Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. For their deeds follow them. I think we all are looking for rest. I know some of us are walking in here tired of life. Tired of everything that's going on in the sinful world. But one day, one day, all this will no longer be. I love again what the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, the eternal rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. But there's more. We're also told we're going to have rewards in heaven. We're going to be rewarded in heaven on how we live our lives on earth. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. Let me mention this because I mentioned it the first week. This is the verse. These are the verses that many people teach the doctrine of purgatory on. And I hope you'll see... That this has nothing to do with second chances. It has nothing to do with purgatory. Purgatory does not exist. There's only two destinations when someone dies. It's either hell or heaven. But here's what Paul writes. Verse 13. Each one's work... What we do on this earth will become manifest, will become evident. for the day will disclose it. What day? The day of judgment. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has. Let me first mention that the image of fire is associated with the coming of Christ. Mostly always associated with Christ coming. And one day, like I mentioned, every single one of us will have a judgment, the final judgment. And on that day, what Paul is saying is that we are going to be judged for the quality of the work, the quality of what we did on this earth. Earth. This church is not a question of salvation. Salvation is a gift given by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is talking about service. This service at the very end, what we did on this earth is going to be judged based on the quality, not the quantity, based on our hearts. He's going to go on and say this verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If what we do on this earth was really to glorify him, was really for eternal things, we will receive a reward. A crown, as we'll see in a little bit. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Again, what Paul is saying, if your work on this earth was genuine from the heart, you will be rewarded. If it was not genuine, it was just to glorify yourself. If you did it in weakness, it's going to be revealed through fire, as through fire, and you will suffer loss but you are still saved. Your true intentions will come out. And you're going to be disappointed, but you're still saved. I love what one commentary says. He says this. The true nature of every Christian's work will become manifest because it will be revealed with fire. That fire will test what sort of work each one has done. It's quality. Let me mention... The rewards are called crowns that a believer will receive in heaven. And I found five crowns biblically that are mentioned. The first crown is the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness. Paul writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for the me the crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This crown, church, is going to be given to believers who live their lives on earth, striving to be with Christ in heaven. Those believers that do not look for things of this earth, but look for things that are above, as Paul mentions in his writings. Those people that are longing to be in heaven. That's what the crown of righteousness is going to be given to those. The second crown we see is the crown of life. James mentions this in James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Believers who maintain their love for Christ... We trust Christ more and more, no matter the circumstances, no matter the struggles, no matter the suffering, will receive the crown of life. And as I look around to my church family, I know that many of you will be wearing this crown. I know many of you are going through some trials and suffering, seasons that seem to never end. And this is a promise that awaits for all believers that go through this persecution. And suffering. There's also what's known as the crown of glory. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This crown is given to the faithful shepherds. The teachers, the pastors, the elders, the deacons, the small group leaders, the teachers in the children's ministry. Anyone who proclaims God's truth, genuinely proclaims God's truth, will be given... The crown of glory. There's also a crown of rejoicing, also known as the soul winner's crown. Paul writes in First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? This crown will be given to all those who boldly share the gospel without any hesitation. They want to go and just share the good news of Jesus Christ as we're all called to do. Inviting people to church, trying to bring others to Jesus Christ. And lastly, there's the victor's crown. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, a perishable crown, but we an imperishable one. Those that don't fall in temptation into temptation, those that that exercise self-discipline, no matter how bad it gets around them, they will receive the victor's crown. So what would the new earth, the new heaven be like? It's like a city, like a country. It's going to be a new earth, not a non-earth. We're going to have resurrected bodies. We're going to have rest. And there's going to be rewards. But the most important thing, the best thing of all, church, is that God will dwell among us. In heaven, we will be with God forever and ever. John writes in Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. That's why I say, church, to long for heaven is to long for Christ. See, being... With God is the heart and the soul of heaven. That should be our desire above all things. I love what Asaph writes in Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you... And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Jesus, in John 14, verse 3, says this. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus prays in John 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world to long for heaven is to long for Christ, to be in his presence forever. When that day comes, this is what John writes in Revelation 21 verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. These promises are true, and so many others, church, if and only if you are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So, are you invited? Are you on the guest list? In ancient times, before anyone could enter into a city, they would have to go through guards. And those guards that were posted in front of the city, in front of the gate, would have a list of those that belonged to the city. They were there for security reasons. And if your name was not on that list, you could not enter. I mention this because this is the context in which John writes the following in Revelation 21, verse 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those, only those who are written in the land's book of life, only those can enter into the new heaven and the new earth. Are you invited? Is your name written in the book of life? See, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day... On that day, many will say to me, many are going to say to me, he says, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? On that day, many... Many people are going to come up to Jesus and say, what what, what are you talking about? I did all these religious things for you, Jesus. I read my Bible daily. I went to church. I served in every ministry just like the pastor asked me to. I did all these things. I prophesied in your name. I casted out demons in your name. And did mighty, mighty works in your name. And Jesus is going to say to them, verse 23, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from you, you workers of lawlessness. You and I never had a relationship, Jesus is going to say. I don't care for a religion. I came and died for a relationship between you and God and I. I was the only one that could reconcile that relationship. I never knew you, is what Jesus is going to say for so many. The only way. The only way we can enter and receive these promises is if we, if we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We realize what he did for you and for me at the cross. And at that moment, at that moment, we are reconciled between a holy God and a sinful people. Reconciled in trusting Jesus Christ. In that moment, we have a relationship with him. That moment... He does know us. That moment we are secured and we will have eternity and be in eternity with him. And so on that day, we get to see this promise. Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from your eye. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This verse has a very special meaning to me. This is the last verse I shared with my grandfather before he passed away. Him and I had a really close relationship. And when he got ill, I made it a point to visit him daily, church, daily. And I go to his house, he was, he was getting weaker, and I go to his house and I share the gospel. I said, Papa that's what I called it. Do you understand what I've been telling you? You can't be saved by works. Because he would do all this religious stuff. And I remember him asking, "Well, I don't have to do all these things. You don't have to. You don't have to do all these things to be accepted. You are accepted. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you've been saved by grace, through faith, only in him. Do you get it? And he wouldn't get it for a while. And I would go to him and tell him time and time again, Wow, we were still sinners. Christ died for you and me. Do you understand? He went to the hospital. And in the hospital, I shared verse after verse after verse. And there was one point where he couldn't speak anymore. He was conscious, but he couldn't speak anymore. And I read, before I read these verses, I asked him, Papa, do you understand what it means to be saved? Had a mask on and he smiled. And he did thumbs up. And at that moment I read to him, Revelation 21, verse 4. I said, Bababel. He's going to wipe away every tear from your eye, And death, what you're experiencing now, will be no more. There will be no more mourning. We're not going to cry. This pain that you're feeling, it's going to be gone. Because the former things have passed away. Church, on that day, there's going to be many people who will be surprised and Disappointed. Many people are going to hear, depart from me. I never knew you. But there's going to be some, church. And I hope you strive for this because this is what I'm striving for. There's going to be some that will hear these beautiful, beautiful words from our Savior. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. And that's why we're here to share the gospel. So I encourage you to invite. I encourage you to live your lives differently than you are now. Looking for things that are eternal, not things on this earth. So that someday many more people can go thumbs up when it comes to the saving great news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks and praise again to Just be part of this beautiful church, your church, Grace Bible Church, coming together as a family and hearing from you. And Father, I pray, as I've been praying throughout this whole series and every single day, that we become a church that really proclaims the gospel, but not only just proclaims it, lives it out. Not be some sort of people on Sunday, and then during the week, someone else. If we are to be true Christians, we need to deny ourselves. Pick up our cross and follow you. Follow you to eternity. That's our longing. So Father, help us through the days of this evil world. Through temptations, comfort, and everything else that comes our way. Let us strive to hear those words. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you, church.